Hey everybody, Coach here. Happy April 1st. No April Fool's joke on this podcast. We are going to give you a little insight into the eye of a professional designer when approaching a landscape project. What I used to look for, what the customer wanted and needed, what the site would tolerate, etc. Are you with me? This will be a glimpse into a landscape designer's perspective of a client's yard to better help you do it yourself. Stay with me until the end because I have a question for you all. Consider subscribing and tap. Tap that like button if you like what you hear here today. Hey, I'm Matt. You can call me coach. Every Friday I bring with me landscape DIY education, concepts and theories, ideas and solutions so you guys can go out and tackle a landscape project yourself, get professional results, save a whole lot of money in the process, and in this day and age, be a lot more self-reliant. Man, after a 20 plus year career in the green industry, I'm bringing with me a lot of knowledge and experience that I wanna share with you guys, the new, modern, educated, self-reliant homeowner of today. You know, my landscape designing career evolved from my vocation at the time when I was a whopping 19 years old. Part of my progression and training where I worked included the theories, concepts, and approaches in drawing and designing residential landscapes. At the time, at 19, I had no idea how important it was going to become in my life. I then took a step further while I was still employed there and attended ornamental horticulture classes and further college landscape design classes at local community colleges. Honestly, to be 100% transparent, I got a lot more out of the teachings at work than I did in any college classroom. Just saying. Then I gained some state certification which involved testing and landscape design scrutinized and graded by state-selected so-called experts. Hence, I walked away with a little certification that just made me uber important. That little certification and uh, a quarter could not even get me a half a cup of Starbucks coffee in this day and age. You know, uh, some things that I was taught to look for when it came to designing clients' yards are these. You can jot them down or back up and replay or whatever. First of all, scale, how to draw a landscape design to scale so that you can take your front yard or backyard or both your whole property and properly place it to scale on a piece of paper. Then there was the placement, placement of things that make sense according to the dwelling, according to the neighborhood, according to the client, placement of outdoor living areas, storage areas, pet areas, vegetable gardens, walkways, plant material especially. Placement was very important. And then plant selection. The design that I had to do for state certification, they didn't want to see a redwood tree right outside the front door, you know, right next to the foundation. That would not have probably got you to pass. Another thing is compass direction. Making sure that when you're drawing your scale drawing that your rosetta or your direction of north is congruent with the way you drew your plan. Then balance, visual balance, hardscape balance, all kinds of things so that on paper it looked intentional, it looked functional, and it looked aesthetically pleasing based on balance to the viewer's eye. Then there was things like irrigation placement, drainage placement, neatness of the overall 
design and proper labeling and legend. Not to mention theme. Theme was very important. You could have, you know, boulder theme, Japanese theme, lawnless theme, whatever it was. Lawnless was not very important back in the 70s, I'll tell you that. And this is, this is the top 10, just to name a few. There are some others, but for the sake of time, we can't go into all of them. So, now, <laughs> I looked back on this when I was writing this, I went, oh, wow. So now, over the last 40 plus years of putting pencil to paper, and the last part of my career was computer drawing, CAD, and pro landscape, I still follow many of the same principles I was taught all those years ago. Thank you to J.C. Burns. I'm sure he's not with us anymore, but he was the mentor. He really was. Him and Mike Healy. But you know something? After 40 plus years, it still gives me a razz. It still gets my blood pumping to sit down at a drawing table, angled drawing table with all my things around with a brand new fresh piece of paper, graph paper in front of me. Yep, still, uh, still love it computer versus pencil and colored pencils and templates and all that other stuff. I still prefer the old-fashioned way. The computer, eh, I had to adapt or die. And I didn't die, obviously, but uh, I still, I really preferred. Because the way I was taught was that artistic approach, that artistic side. And sometimes the computer and a mouse and a click just doesn't get it for us old timers. For you newbies out there, for any designers that are listening, I'm sure you guys are going, hey, you old fart, you know? But, oh well. So, to bring this back home to you, the DIY landscaper, let's do a, a hypothetical example of a client call for services that I had handled hundreds of times. And maybe, just maybe, it'll help you go outside and look at your yard from a little different perspective with a little different eye. And I hope that's what you get from this. I really do. This will aid you in maybe looking at your landscape from the perspective of someone like myself, a stranger, a professional, but a stranger driving up to your sidewalk and coming in to do some work for you. Most of the time I would have a short conversation with my prospective client to learn what the project might entail. And this was just on the phone. Before I even got in the truck or got in the car and drove, I kind of was feeling things out a little bit. You know, is this, a, is this a tire kicker or is it a serious, serious client that is looking to hire? And many times I weeded it out right there on the phone. But say I do get in the car and we're going, I arrive at the person's home and I start evaluation literally before I even pull up to the curb. I really do. Here are some of the items I key in on as I meet the client. And let's go through them kind of quickly. But you'll, you'll see where my mind's eye and my mindset was at. Number one was current condition of the property as a whole. It kind of gave me a first impression type of thing of, hmm, what has been done how has it been done and what has it currently gone through as far as a home and property? The other thing I looked at was signs of abuse by kids, pets, and people. You know, do we have yard cars? Do we have dead grass? Do we have whatever, whatever it might have been? Obvious signs. The other thing was, is the project a front yard or a backyard? Which I would always ask, you know, before, before I even got in the car, front yard or backyard? If it was a front yard, 
I would visually evaluate things starting when I drove in the neighborhood. What is the neighborhood as a whole? Is this a neighborhood that has a lot of pride of ownership? Is it smattered everywhere with rentals where people maybe don't keep up on the yard work and the dwelling as well as it could be done? A front yard landscape was very, very important as far as visual aesthetics, which I will get into later. But is it a backyard? Well, you can't evaluate a backyard from the street most of the time, unless it's a rural property or so, maybe you can get a glimpse. But if it's a backyard, the front yard is a tell. It's a tell to a professional about what kind of people are you getting involved in. My consult, when I knocked on the door and I saw Mr. Jones or Mrs. Jones, my consult usually involved a kitchen or a dining table conversation with intense, very intense listening and not so much talking on my part. I would throw out a few questions and then just let them ramble because I was doing quite an assessment evaluation throughout the whole process. Then towards the end of our initial ice-breaking conversation, then I would compare the client's thoughts and ideas and dreams that they've posed to me to what I saw present. Do they have $200,000 pie in the sky ideas? And I know full well that this probably isn't even a $20,000 job. That's part of the evaluation process. Same thing you guys can do. It's really nice to look at Google Images. It's nice to see HDTVs, befores and afters. But does that fit your design? And eventually, one of the biggest important facets that I will talk to you towards the end of this podcast. Now, after the dining room table or kitchen table, it was time for the walk around. This is more of my familiarization and gaining a better understanding of the project site and compare that to what the clients has already spoken to as far as wishes, likes, and needs. I looked for a condition of current mechanicals like irrigation valves, drainage, lighting, designated areas currently in place, etc. You know, it was about within the first 30 to 40 minutes or so uh, that all that took place, inside and the outside. Then we talked turkey. We generally arrived at a price, and I got hired, or in some cases, not. And that's when I realized I was dealing with tire kickers. My design costs hadn't really gone up in many, many, many years. It was, <laughs> it was in a few hundred dollars of what I started 20 plus years ago. And one thing that you want to remember is if you do reach out to professionals. Professionals don't want to waste your time, and they certainly don't want their time wasted. The latter can happen really easy if a professional does not control the narrative and the conversation quite a bit. It can start to be like the Tasmanian devil and get out of control. So most professionals will want to listen, get to the point, offer a solution, and a price and move forward. So back to you, back to you, the homeowner. So for you to design your DIY project, might I suggest a few things first, especially if you have zero nada experience in this realm. Number one, many minds make work a little easier. That's just a little takeoff from many hands make lighter work. Well, many minds can oftentimes get you past a creative sticking point. And what I suggest is have family or friends over and ask them what they would do 
Why? Because you're going to gain another person's perspective that maybe you can't see through your forest, through the trees, living there every single day. Keep an open mind. Really keep an open mind. And allow thoughts and ideas to gush and spill over in whatever conversation you have. Number two, consider doing a few rough sketches on your own. Why again? It will tend to get creative juices flowing. It is only paper and pencil at this point and a little bit of your time. But you will start to get the hang of it. If you get out there and do a, an accurate little plot plan to scale, maybe you've got a front yard project. Get out there and measure the front of your house, your driveway, your sidewalks, the, the landscape area to scale, and all the little things that are going to stay in the landscape design for your future. And then just do some doodles. Make, I don't know, three to six copies and just doodle some things out. And don't be embarrassed about it. They're just doodling for now. But it'll start to get you to think what's going to work for you and what is not going to work for you. Number three, maybe create an accurate plot plan of the project site along with some photos. Photos are very important. Take those items that will be staying, if any, make a direction, Rosetta, on your little plot plan and run it by a qualified nursery person in your area. See what they say. This may become a, a focus group more on plant material and not so much on hardscape and irrigation and that kind of stuff, but it'll give you some really insight as far as plant material that you may not be aware of, you had not considered, and what will really work for the conditions that you're showing this professional. Number four, peruse the internet for plant ideas. Not only plant ideas, but outdoor living areas, landscape vignettes and areas of purpose, and how they're segregated outdoor areas, and compare them to your overall needs and wants. And compare those ideas that you've seen online to what you have. Finally, and this is what I spoke to earlier. It's the biggest pitfall DIY landscapers always fall into. Always fall into if you do not pay attention. And that is design to your budget. Budget comes first, then design. Never the other way around. Never the other way around. Don't design a $75,000 worth of landscape improvements for your backyard when you only know and can only spend through a myriad of means and resources 10 grand at the most. Unless this is a long-term project over the next several years and you plan to invest that $75,000 over the course of more than just two months down the road. You're gonna get it started with 10, and then you're gonna chunk in whatever you can afford over time to when your $75,000 worth of improvements is done in five years, seven years, I don't know, whatever, whatever it fits you. Now, all of this up to this point. Now I'd like to share with you some concepts I have used over the years that many clients really appreciated and had not thought of themselves. Maybe these ideas will spark an idea for you that you hadn't considered and some that are really, really useful for a final thought at the end here. If possible, let's talk about number one. Not in importance, just 
numeral number one. If possible, depending on what the scope of your project is, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go on an assumption for a second. Maybe you're doing a front and backyard makeover. If possible, always have a solid, durable surface to walk around your outdoor area. From your front door all the way around, backyard, side yards, and coming back in your front door. Why? Why? Because it's a necessity to be able to navigate your property, whether it's with feet, wheelbarrow, large equipment, anything that you might be needing, it's much easier to do it on a solid, durable surface. And I say that in compacted DG, I say that to cement, which is probably the most popular, uh, paver stone, any of those things. It's nice to be able to go out, I used to tell clients all the time, it's very nice to go out barefooted and be able to walk around your house and back into your back door without having to put shoes on. Number two, irrigation manifolds and other mechanicals are readily accessible and placed right near or close by to those solid durable surfaces that I mentioned in number one. And not outweighing the landscape far away where you have to traipse across a, a wet lawn or dirt or whatever to get to. Those things, both irrigation manifolds, outdoor timers, outdoor lighting timers, those kinds of things are readily accessible right out the side garage door or right out the back slider or out the back master bedroom French door or right out the front door before you get to the driveway. They're readily reachable. Number three, planting beds. Planting beds from a visual perspective are balanced to the house size. And what do I mean by that? An old adage and an old concept many, many years ago that was taught to me is your beds should be at least half as wide or half as deep as the wall is tall, if at all possible. Now that often doesn't happen too much on smaller suburban houses on the sides of the house, because you may have anywhere from six feet to eight feet or so, and sometimes it's hard to have a four foot bed over there if you have or you have a five or six foot bed, if you have a big old tall stucco wall that's 10, 12 feet, and now you're wanting to have this half as wide as the wall is tall. But in the backyard, in the front yard, it's generally easier to accomplish. And in visual aesthetics, it's very, very important to try to have that. So it's something that you might wanna think about. The days of two foot foundation beds are long gone. It's much more in vogue to have four, six, eight foot beds that are wandering around that rectilinear thing you call your dwelling to soften, soften those right angles, etc. So consider that when you're doing something. Number four, aesthetic appeal in the front yard is mandatory and functionality with a little bit of gooch and creativity for the backyard. Always remember if you have a front yard project, curb appeal, equals sales appeal. And whether you're in your forever home or you're gonna be there because of work for two years, curb appeal equals sales appeal. And you should design according to that. Number five, always consider mature size when designing. Don't, do not go find plants that are gonna be eight feet tall and eight feet wide and you're slamming them in a four foot bed. 
It's a waste of your time and your dollars, and it's going to take so much of your time and energy eventually to curb this plant that is supposed to be naturally growing that eight by eight, and you're trying to keep it. You're trying to just wrap your arms around it and keep that plant at four by four. It's just silly. Find the right size plant that's going to go with the bed that you're going to put it in. If you can, and if your site is appropriate for it, incorporate a drainage system whenever possible. Over on YouTube, I've got a, a good video on drainage essentials and the problems that it can alleviate is amazing. If budget allows, please try to install a good functioning drainage system whenever possible. Remember to drain any backyards that slope towards your house, any front yards that have downhill grade that comes from above you, other, other yards that are going to come down in. All of these things can really be managed well with a good drainage system. Number seven, entry walkways for the front yard are not always just coming off of the driveway. You can always have a wonderful meandering four foot front walkway going from your sidewalk, if you have one, up to the walkway that goes to your front door. So people that come to visit, you got a couple cars in the driveway and you don't have any more room, people don't have to shimmy up between the cars, raking their purses against the side of your car or whatever. They can walk up through the landscape very nicely. Just a tip. Number eight, lighting, low voltage landscape lighting is not only good for ambiance and for curb appeal, but is also doubly good for yard and home security. It really is. So don't be putting huge bushes in front of front doors and windows and stuff where those creepers and lurkers can hide behind and work on your... Now you want to have plant material that's going to be smaller and you want to have lighting that's going to light the thing up. So if someone's coming on board to your little slice of heaven that is not welcomed or not wanted, they're at least going to show themselves. It also helps with visual security as well. Security lights, security cameras. You know, it's better to light faces up than to put out there a little silhouette. Number nine, walkways and gates should be wide, not a 36 inch gate. If you can make it 48 or even 52, 56 inch wide gate. Boy, it's a lot easier to get some things back there that maybe you don't think of right now, but one day, one day, you may wanna be moving a refrigerator, a big, big double wide refrigerator, and your gate is four inches too narrow. That's when you're gonna say, damn, I wish I'd listened to coach and put in a four foot walkway and a six foot gate. It really helps, it really does. Finally, number 10, the purpose. Designing for the purpose behind your outdoor areas. I kind of use these big areas as something to focus in on. But always remember functionality, top, number one. Functionality, it has to be able to function for you, your lifestyle, and your family. Consider outdoor storage, a play area for children, if it's applicable. Not just the back lawn, not just the back lawn, a designated pet area. I addressed that over on the channel a little bit a couple weeks ago as far as pet areas. Maybe private vignettes for you and your significant, a private area, maybe off the master bedroom with a hot tub or a relaxation area. The public outdoor living area for you and your extended families and friends to come visit. One that has not been addressed on this channel 
for this podcast for a while, and that is privacy concerns. And finally, views to either eliminate or enhance. Using some of these approaches and thought processes will aid you in formulating a final design that will work now and well into the future for you and your family. It's just doing some due diligence and thought and educating yourself. And then, once completed, your design, your design should be able to stand on its own. It will have all the detail needed to explain to anyone what is to be done where it is to be done. The scale that is on that design will tell anybody what size of project this is, which direction is north so everybody knows on what side of the house we're dealing with, and the plants, etc. You can do this. You really can. It just takes a little bit of effort. It takes a trial and error a little bit. Like I told you, just do some rough sketches. But it is only paper at that point. Have fun with it. Be patient with yourself. Seek out opinions of those people who you respect and those people who have an eye for a little bit of creativity and landscaping themselves. Once you have it dialed in and you have budget established, the big B, execute. Execute that design and bring your vision to life. It will pay you in dividends. Now, thanks for sticking with me this long. Now for my big question, something for this podcast and my YouTube channel. I would like a smattering of content ideas thrown my way so that I might start to expand some of my episodes to landscape concerns, problems, and solutions that you guys want to hear. I can keep throwing many of the things out, but I don't always know what the big issues are with many people, beginners, newbies, or experienced homeowners. The comments that I'm getting are really kind of hit and miss and very slim and far between. But I do appreciate all that I do get. But take a few minutes after you listen to this. The email is always there, youryardcoach at gmail.com. You can always send me any ideas, concerns, or questions. Now, to end it, go check out the website that I have, youryardcoach.com. Try out a couple of the educational products that will really help boost your DIY landscape confidence. There's an ebook and, of course, Homescape 1.0. Guys, that's what I have for you this week on this podcast. Don't forget to join me over on YouTube this week for a much more visually enhanced version of this topic. Guys, we'll see you next week. As always, to your landscape success, you guys take care. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for listening to the Yard Coach Podcast. Don't forget to head over to the website at youryardcoach.com where you will find more DIY landscape education, including the free 15-step DIY landscape checklist, Coach Matt's ebook called Landscaping Simplified, and the flagship digital course, Homescape 1.0. As always, if you have any questions or comments, you can email Coach Matt directly at youryardcoach at gmail.com. We'll see you right here next week.